Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. I'm Braden Dennis, as always, joined by Simon Belanger. We have a fun episode for y'all today because... We are first going to go through 10 interesting, undercovered, maybe never heard of TSX stock ideas under $20 billion in market cap. That's our threshold. And then I will interview one of the main analysts at Stratosphere, and we're going to just, we're going to just chat shop and uh, go through our investing process. Simon, did you find anything? I mean, we're going to go through them, but anything that came to mind with these under 20 billion in market cap on the TSX names? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, some of the names I was already familiar with. Uh, and one name I actually just discovered because I was struggling to find another one. And I, I had a feeling some of the ones you'd choose. So I didn't want to steal any of the ones that uh, you'd most likely be picking for this. <laughs> I'm so predictable. Like I've already <laughs> talked about these many yeah, years so, before. Yeah, um, so I, I had to think outside the box for a couple and may have cheated a little bit for one, but I'll elaborate on that. So In terms of market cap? A little cap. bit, a little bit. We, okay, that's fine. That's it was fine. dual listed and, then, and we did not yeah. specify the currency. I'll just say that. Uh, okay, yeah. See, you know what? We're, we're okay with getting by on technicalities. That is fine. Uh, general theme, just comment from me. General theme is that there are some gems on the TSX that are completely undercovered, only listed on the TSX that are worthwhile. I'll say that they're, they're worthwhile. There's this kind of sweet spot, um, for, for that reminder, reminder, as we always do, don't just hunt on the TSX. A lot of it, there's a lot of garbage, there's a lot of trash. There's literally a lot of terrible companies <laughs> on the TSX and the ventures. So you gotta look south of the border of the US. However, this list of these like good companies undercovered have global scale potentially, or at least scale outside of just Canada and are wildly undercovered. Those are interesting and make the TSX worthwhile just from those alone. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so uh, I think there's definitely some good value to be found for some businesses and some gems in Canada. But, uh, you know, it's not always easy. So, uh, but like you said, there's definitely some some not so good businesses, a lot of junior mining companies that people will sometimes get mm. excited about. Gamble your whole life savings yeah, into those. Yeah, I mean, it's like a lottery ticket, right? You might uh, get lucky with a few, but uh, you might also lose everything with the rest. So, yeah. Let's get you to kick it off with a name that we just covered in detail uh, on this show. And, um, I mean, it is in size, definitely qualifies for it. So, yeah, here we go. Yeah, so uh, by the time this podcast comes out, uh, you guys will have listened to uh, our discussion on Aritzia, and that's my first name here. Uh, it was hard not to mention this one because it has a market cap of just above $5 billion. Um, like we mentioned, it's growing at a pretty good clip here. A lot of it is because of their growth prospects in the U.S. If you want to learn more about Aritzia, go back to our episode that we discussed. We did a pretty deep dive, I would say, on it. And I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if uh, this year their U.S. sales exceed their Canadian sales. And by this year, I mean fiscal year 2023. Uh, their fiscal year is a bit wonky here. Uh, not as strong on the margin side as a Lululemon, for example, but still uh, pretty good numbers overall. They're also profitable and pumping a lot of free cash flow here something i love to see especially when a company is growing pretty rapidly like they are i think it's pretty reasonable to expect a mid-teen to high-teen uh, growth clip uh, for their uh, revenue growth maybe even higher as the uh, u.s expansion accelerates um, the last thing i would mention here it is a fashion play uh, fashion clothing can go out of style fairly quickly so that's the biggest question mark here is do they have staying power or not i don't know that's my biggest question mark here 
If you want more detail on this one, go back on your podcast player if you haven't listened to it already. And it is in the title. We did a deep dive on the name. All right. First for me on the slate is TFI International at 12 billion, 12 and a half billion roughly in market cap on the TSX. They are dual listed, by the way. This one is dual listed on the New York Stock Exchange as well. Now, TFI shares have shot up like to the moon since of March 2020. But I still think the shares have a lot of room to room to a lot of room to run. Wow, that was a mouthful. TFI's robust acquisition strategy in the highly fragmented trucking industry. The company spent over $1 billion on acquisitions in 2021, about as much as the previous three years combined. Uh, in 2021, they acquired 10 trucking businesses into tucking into their fleet. Strong e-commerce volume has driven a lot of the organic growth as of late. Still, e-commerce growth is in its infancy, and TFI should be able to benefit for a long time to come from that. Uh, the business is led by none other than the legendary Elaine Bedard. A lot of respect for him. He's demonstrated the discipline to be able to buy distressed trucking assets at attractive prices, improve their operations, integrate them into the system, uh, do it really well. Uh, they've tucked in small acquisitions, but they've also flexed their ability to make large deals like buying UPS freight. They carved out UPS freight for a price that like they literally stole it from UPS. It was incredible. They're able to deploy capital at really good returns, uh, long term, looking at really long term. Uh, two of their big input costs, uh, can greatly be benefited from the long term effect of fleet, ec- fleet electrification and self-driving vehicles. Moving on to number three on the list, Chibo, uh, ticker DCBO. It's uh, dual listed in Canada and the US. Uh, market cap of $1.62 billion. That's in USD because uh, they do report in USD, so I'll stay with that currency. Uh, they, Like I mentioned, they are dual listed. The Chibo is a AI-powered learning suite of software for enterprises. Um, This is a fast-growing SaaS company, so SaaS is software as a service. Uh, We do talk a lot about SaaS, but just in case we have some new listeners, um, with most of their revenues coming from reoccurring in nature, uh, revenue in fiscal year 2021 increased 66% to $104 million. 92% of their sub- revenues were subscription revenues, which is very attractive here because they are reoccurring, like I mentioned. The company still trades at about 15 times sales despite the recent drawdown. They are not profitable and not free cash flow positive. Um, they're not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it is a very interesting company. I think it has a decent amount of runway here. Um, and we talked about them, I think, a year and a half ago. And I know a lot of people do have it on the radar as well. Next up is Topicus, this up and coming Serial acquire of vertical market software in Europe is still undiscovered by much of the investing public. However, it seems to be following in the beautiful footsteps of its older brother, Constellation Software, by consolidating this super highly fragmented vertical market software ecosystem. Today, as of recording, Topicus announced their bid to buy a Polish public company called Signity, I hope I'm saying that right, which provides VMS software for banking, insurance, energy, utilities, industrial, and more. They have 850 employees. This is a big acquisition, and I do not see a world where Constellation and Topicus do not continue to eat up the thousands of vertical market software businesses around the world. Still a huge addressable market. No one does it better. Both it and its uh, parent Older bro, Constellation Software, run by the same guys, pretty much. And look at some of those charts on performance. Holy crap. The foundation and the playbook has already been discovered, and it's already been done by none other than the people running this company as well. So a lot to like for Topicus moving forward. I think it's going to be a lot bigger business in the future than it is today. Number five on the list, Nueve, take care, NVE.to. 
Uh, market cap of 9.4 billion. The numbers again here are in USD. It's another one that's dual listed in Canada and in the US. I was hesitating between Noive and Lightspeed. We did talk a lot about Lightspeed recently, so I figured I'd talk about another payments company. Uh, so Nuve is that. So it's a grow, rapidly growing payments company. They focus primarily on payments processing for gambling sites. So do be aware if you're not into investing into companies that are related to gambling. This is probably not a company for you. Their revenues almost doubled from 2020 to 2021 and are up 68% on an annual basis over the past three years. They had 725 million sales in 2021, so they are not cheap when you compare that to uh, their market cap. They are profitable on an earnings and free cash flow positive as well. So on an earnings basis, they are profitable. So um, it is a name to keep an eye on, uh, especially if we have some fans of payment processors that I I know we do listening to the podcast. So a name to keep an eye on. It's actually... Talking about Nueve, it's uh, their market cap was way higher than I thought it would be. It surprised me. I thought they were on some huge drawdown. Wasn't there some short report? The uh, thing just got absolutely crushed. I mean, like, I feel like most Canadian companies that are payments processor get a short report sooner or later. Yeah, they've been getting a short yeah. report. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a ticking time bomb on a short report coming out on them. No, yeah, it's it's uh, it's one that I followed IPO and then uh, $9.4 billion. I mean, it's pretty big. No, no, it's not small. I mean, gambling, right? Online gambling. That's a fast-growing market. All right, number six, let's talk about Q4. Ticker QFOR, Q4. The company is called Q4 Incorporated, like Q and then the number four. It is $200 million in market cap, roughly. So I believe this is the smallest one on our list. It IPO'd in the fall of last year in 2021 when tech businesses, uh, like software as a service businesses, were doing well in the market. They've been on decline pretty much ever since this business IPO'd. Terrible timing. The stock is trading at half of the IPO price. What a disaster. Uh, however, however, the most important word here, I think this is a pretty good opportunity now at 200 million in market cap. This is a Toronto startup whose office was across the street from where I used to live downtown. Q4 holds substantial market share as a provider of SaaS services for investor relations. So Q4 is the platform we interact with when we're on that investor relations platform, whether we know them or not. Uh, despite the investor relations platform having over 50% of the world most influential brands in the US. This company is not well known by the investment community whatsoever. We think the company provides sticky, easy to use software with recession proof type qualities. Whether we are in the midst of a strong or weak cycle, public companies have to do their investor relations. There's no uh, if, ands, and buts about it. Q4 is uh, growing at some pretty nice paces with recurring revenue. 2021, they saw their customer count grow to over 2,600 customers, which was up 15%. Annual recurring revenue is up 22% to $52 million. Now, when you, I challenge you to do something. When you look at an investor relations site, if you click on a presentation or you're on their website, and you're, you're the cloud provider and the CDN provider, you might notice that it'll say in the URL, Q4 dot blah, 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 like the rest of the URL. That Q4 dot, dot, dot means that it is on Q4's platform. They have over 2,600 customers, as I mentioned, 58% of the S&P 500. 58% of the S&P 500 is using this small 200 million in market cap TSX software name. Unbelievable. I only know about this company from looking at their office every day. Um, customers like, and well, also, and then I started noticing, holy, every single company I look at, they have their IR business. Customers like Spotify, McDonald's, Nike, Visa, CIBC, Salesforce, Coca-Cola, Netflix, Shopify, Walmart, Many, many more, 58% of the S&P 500 are their customers for business-to-business recurring revenue SaaS. 
super interesting name at 200 million in market cap. Yeah, yeah, I think you had mentioned, uh, I think you talked about it on an episode before, not in detail, but I feel just recently. Yeah, recently I'm yeah. like, I feel like that rings a bell. It deserves a deep dive potentially. Hey, I, uh, I'll be all ears if you, if you do a deep dive. But now moving on, this is the company where I cheated a little bit. So it's Wheaton Precious Metals Corporation, ticker WPM. It's uh, dual listed in Canada and the U.S. So their market cap in USD, it's slightly higher than $20 billion, but it would have been lower just a couple of weeks ago. Right now, it sits around $21 billion in USD. Again, I cheated a little bit on this one, but I thought it was good to... We'll give you the yeah, pass. We'll I thought give it was good it. to mix it up with kind of a mining play. Uh, this one, um, I think it's a great commodities play, but specifically for precious metals like gold and silver. Uh, this is another streaming company. So uh, in the fall, I did a dive into Franco Nevada Corp. So Wheaton Precious Metal is another company like that. For those who missed that episode, a metal streamer will typically finance the operation of a mine on a fixed cost basis. And in return, they'll have the rights to the metal at a predetermined price. So it's a pre-established price. So they have a lot of upside if the price of the commodity or the precious metal does go up over time and a lot less risk. So they don't have any risk in terms of the continuing operations of operating that mine, for example. So if you like the upside of precious metals, but don't want the risk of a traditional operator, Wheaton or obviously Franco Nevada, which is a much larger company, are definitely two companies uh, to consider here. Yeah, you've been consistent on your messaging around streamers and it makes complete sense to me. Uh, let's talk about the big green machine, GFL. That green machine's only getting bigger as of late. Luckily for investors who want to own a piece of it, however, uh, it's not getting bigger because the share price has basically done nothing on a 12-month basis. Uh, GFL has a strategy to capture high growth in the very mature, slow-growing North American waste management business. Win large city and corporate contracts by being relentlessly competitive on price and then let pricing power do the work after because there are switching costs here. You better believe it. If you have no issue with a ton of debt on a balance sheet, a leveraged name in waste management, GFL is a name to consider. However, the balance sheet's getting better. I'll give them that. You know, that net leverage ratio has been on a steady decline. They address it. They don't they don't let it just linger. And it's the elephant in the room. They talk about it all the time. The North American waste business is super fragmented. And here I am talking about roll-ups after roll-ups. Um, GFL's aggressive acquisition strategy is one of the best, in my opinion, today, excluding the revenue boost from GFL, however, or sorry, from acquisitions, GFL is, however, growing still at about 7% per year organically. This is very impressive as the waste market is growing a lot slower than that in North America. Uh, and WCN Waste Connections is another great Canadian roll-up of waste management. But that one does not meet our criteria here as it is over $30 billion in market cap. Yeah, now moving on to a company that I actually did not know they were publicly listed until I started doing some research last night. So Pet Value, ticker PET. PET on the TSX. Uh, they have a market cap of 2.2 billion. They went public in, um, I think, June, July of 2021 at $20 a share. They had close to 776 million in sales in 2021, which increased at 20% compared to 2020. Most of it was same store sales growth, which was 17% last year. They are guiding for 10% increase in revenue for 2020 using the mid range of their guidance here. Same store sales between 6 to 9% increase. Um, so those are actually pretty good number. Uh, they are looking to open 30 to 45 new stores in 2022. One thing, um, I just had an overview. So one thing I would need to research here is in terms of uh, their presence in the U.S. and in Canada. So I believe they're only in Canada. I didn't do a deep dive. I was just a quick list that uh, that we did here. So my apologies for that. Uh, but Pet Value, it's essentially an alternative 
um, to PetSmart if you'd like in Canada. So they do have smaller stores. Personally, I do enjoy going there. I like the experience much better than going in the huge PetSmart a PetSmart store. That may vary from people to people, but we all know that uh, you know pet owners are ready to spend money on their pets, and usually money is not an object. So I think uh, they're in a very good space when it comes to that. Again, this is just a name I discovered, so this is brand new to me. Maybe I can do a deeper dive at some point. Uh, they were profitable and free cash flow positive. I did have a look at that. They generated $115 million in free cash flow in 2021, which was a little bit down for 2020. And they're trading around 20 times free cash flow, which is it's not cheap, but it's uh, I've seen worse as well. So um a name to keep an eye on, especially if you're looking for a Canadian pet play. <laughs> if you're specifically looking for that niche uh, fit in your portfolio. All right, number 10. We have made it. I've done all of the typical names that I, you know I would do. And last on this late is Bombardier Recreational Products, ticker DOO. It is also dual listed as ticker do ticker D O O O. Despite facing some supply chain retail issues, revenues are up almost 50% to $2 billion in quarterly revenue. The market appears to think, appears to think that this is a largely grow via COVID pulled forward growth. However, I am happy to take the other side of that bet. I do not believe that is true. The business foresees further momentum into 2023, um, and we think the white-hot demand for, and when I say we, me, my analysts, I think the white-hot demand here can continue for a long time. Consumer interest in power sports, these rec vehicles, is really strong. New products can be hitting the market over the next couple of years. This Sea-Doo pontoon boat, oh boy. The demand for this thing is crazy, sold out immediately. Uh, and so the business is growing well, really well organically. Simon has now officially has his cute dog on the Zoom call. We love to see it. Uh, this business is growing really nicely organically. It is the brand name. It's got ton of staying power and wreck vehicles with Skidoo for the snowmobiles, Sea-Doo for the jet skis, Can-Am for the ATV all-terrain vehicles, and Lynx, which is also in that category. They've been deleting the share count as well, which is important to know. Buying back tons of stock, they do pay a dividend. Honorable mentions for me here across the board are WSP, First Service, Collier's, Equitable Group, we love you, Bank. TMX Group, Stantec, Descartes, and CAE, the uh, pilot training business. And so uh, there's there's lots that are TSX only listed that are worthwhile. Just as a reminder, do not make it your only hunting ground. All right, TCI podcast listeners, we have a fun little interview. Myself and Adrian who is an analyst at Stratosphere. Adrian, thanks for coming on the show. We got a lot of fun stuff to talk about in uh, our process. How you doing, buddy? Good. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Um, and thank you for doing this. I know you're feeling a little under the weather, but you're going to tough it out. Couple, couple coughs in the background. We'll edit it out, make it seamless. <laughs> um, let's get right into this because this is on the back of a, another recording with Simone. And... I think people have a lot of questions about our process, how we do things, the way we think about high quality companies. And I think that that's actually a really good place to start. What are some business qualities that a new idea for you, for us, in terms of it must check all the boxes to consider investing in them? What are some just like basic criteria that we think of a high quality business? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I think, you know, overall, I think our processes are very similar in terms of how we look at businesses. The number one thing, first and foremost, is there's got to be some sort of a dif differentiated product offering. So this cuts out a lot of commodities. And I'm not just talking about oil or gold. Um, I'm talking about commoditized services and products as well, like 
like airlines or hotels and things of that nature. And just to simplify that, you mean like because they're competing purely, almost purely on price, correct? That's exactly it. Um, the, the value proposition there is, is price. You know, one company can't meet the price standard of the customers, then those customers will go elsewhere. So unfortunately, that's not that strong of a moat. So what we like to look for, what I like to look for um, in my own investments is several types of competitive advantages. Um, the more the merrier, not every business will have every single one, but the things that I'm looking for are things like switching costs. Uh, you want them to be really high for customers. Things like high barriers to entry. We want contracts in there. So, you know, there's like pricing power that comes out of very tight contracts. What else? We have network effects. That's that's a really big one. And uh, a lot of our names that we have on Stratosphere have very strong network effects. Um, intangible assets would be another one. Things like high spend that, you know, some companies spend a lot of money and it might look daunting at first, but that spend, what it really does is it really solidifies the moat for a lot of these companies is high capex, high investment sort of companies. There's not many businesses out there in the world that can that can invest that kind of money. So those are the those are the main things that we really look for in terms of the business qualities. Everything you're touching on there, Adrian, is really around like how durable the business is from competitors. And that's a that's a word we throw around quite a bit because we want to own things that are extremely durable over time. And um you you mentioned switching costs. Let's just double click on switching costs for a second. Do you have any like really good examples of, of things you think of out in the market, something you may own today? Maybe it's like an AWS cloud type thing. I, and I know that's a position you own in your own portfolio is Amazon. Do you have some like good ideas? Maybe it is Amazon of just like really high switching costs that make it completely insensible for customers to switch to a competitor. Yeah, I think AWS at Amazon, I think that's actually a fantastic example. When a company throws all of their workloads onto a cloud provider, it becomes extremely, extremely difficult to take that off. Um, you know, there's an entire process around these workloads. And once you're once you have these workloads embedded in a cloud provider, um, the financial and, and the, uh, the, the, the financial um, implications and, and the, the amount of training that would be required to switch onto another cloud provider are just unfathomable. So really those those switching costs are extremely high companies that use any sort of cloud provider whether that's aws or gcp or azure they don't have many incentives to switch cloud providers so i think that would be a great example i have been told by someone i know that switching your cloud provider while running your business is like trying to swap the engine of an airplane mid-flight it's like, it makes no sense to do it. And it's dangerous for your business to do so. Um, and so I, I think about that a lot. And I think about that a lot with a lot of these really sticky software offerings. It's just like, why switch? Like the, the, the switching costs are, are incredible. And that's why I think people like software so much as investors. How are you thinking about their kind of capital allocation strategy as well? Yeah, so reinvestment opportunities, uh, there's a couple of pillars there. Um, one, that could be new geographies. So if a company operates solely in North America, for example, uh, there could be reinvestment opportunities by expanding into Europe, Africa, Australia, really anywhere else other than where they currently operate today. Another one would be an acquisition runway. So this is mostly relevant for uh, industries that are highly fragmented. And this isn't really limited only to, to tech because tech has a lot of software companies that, you know, vary in, in size and really all over the world, there's always some new tech company popping up here and there. Um, but even things like waste disposal, it's a highly fragmented industry. So if there's a, if there's a large acquisition runway, that's, that's another way that companies can reinvest. And what's amazing about some of the companies that we cover on Stratosphere is that, you know, the... The, the, tip, the, the common thought is that um, acquisitions kill value. And that's true. A lot of them do. But for some reason, the companies that, that we cover, every single time they acquire a company, value is created. So it's, it's really incredible how they do that. It's really around a track record too. Like I'm always nervous when a company starts an acquisition strategy. 
Like I have to be proven that they're good at it. I like, I need to see a track record of it. If I'm late to the story, that's fine. Like a proven roll up strategy is needed because so many of them fail and so many of them have bad IRR. So I think that you mentioned there, like the ones we cover, they're all, they're all like the ones that are doing acquisitions. They're not new to the game of doing acquisitions. That's correct. We talk a lot about long-term compounders. We talk about this like durable business, long runway for growth. Like these are kind of the terms we throw around. Some of it's jargon. Some of it we try to just say in very simple terms. What are some common characteristics of some of these like mega winners, you know, the like super successful long-term compounders that everyone likes to talk about and rifle off. What are some common characteristics that these, these companies all share? I think the biggest thing is they, they really just defy the odds. Um, time and again, they, they just come out with new product lines. They, they enter new geographies. They, they just do things that no sell-side analyst, no, no retail investor, no fund was able to ever predict. So um, it's just deeply rooted in, in having that inherent optionality that, again, the commoditized companies do not have. Like what, what else can a hotel business do other than run a hotel business or what else can an airline do outside of, um, you know, providing air service? Uh, there's just not a lot of optionality in that, but the, the companies that we cover, they, they have this optionality that just seemingly comes out of nowhere. It's literally created out of thin air. Like if we think about Amazon, for example, they started off selling books back in the late nineties and now they're, they're this huge cloud provider. They provide ads. Um, they're an e-commerce giant. Like, who would have ever predicted this 20 years ago, 30 years ago? If you look at just even like the top 10 in market cap on the S&P 500, for instance, all of them at some point during their time as a public company completely changed the narrative. Like, Apple was a public company for how long? before the iPhone came out. You could have seen, I mean, you could have seen their success and their beautiful products, but no one was going to properly estimate the the success there. No one was going to properly estimate that AWS would spin out like this trillion dollar company out of nowhere. Uh, no one could predict the company that everyone loved to hate in 2013, Microsoft, would end up becoming the number one in market cap company in 2022. Like there's all these really interesting things that no one could really predict. And they all have that common characteristic, what you're talking about, which is this optionality and management team that is hungry for more. They're, they're hungry to expand their addressable market. And I think that that has been a, a really common characteristic of the companies we've looked at. Yeah, I think that's a good point as well. Um, these management teams, these are, you know, the companies that we look at, these are literally the best businesses in the world, right? So if we're going to trust anyone with our money, come up with great new ideas, it'll be these companies. They have an insane amount of resources. Their management teams are sharp. These are the sharpest individuals literally on the planet. So it, it's not surprising in hindsight to, to see some of these companies come out with such value creating concepts. Um, but it really comes down to that, you know, that hunger that's, uh, that's there in those companies. Yeah. And I mean, we're rifling off a bunch of large tech in hindsight. It's, it's easy to say like these large mega cap tech companies, look at all the optionality they've had through the years, but even like, you know, businesses we, we like right now that are well under a hundred billion in market cap, like 40 ish. I'm thinking of like Unity or Spotify. They just also still have this gigantic market to address and optionality to address outside of their core offering. Like Unity is getting into like this media segment. They're like movies are being made on the gaming engine. They have optionality built in to expand to new markets. This is this is what you and I are talking about right now, which is just like these commodity businesses, these businesses that compete largely on price, they just don't have those characteristics to be some mega wealth creator in our portfolio. You know what I mean? 
yeah, at least over the long term, right? Like recently oil has been doing exceptionally well, but um, that's still not enough of a driver for me to invest over the long term. Today, the economy is doing, oil is doing great. So of course, oil stocks are going to do well um, also. But what's next year going to look like? Or the year after that? Does management have, what else can they do other than drill more oil, right? And, and then if the price drops, then your those investments in production they're destroyed, right? There's value destruction literally happening before your eyes. So I'm, I'm not a trader. No, I, I'm, I'm not a macro guy. So I, I prefer to stay away from those kind of businesses. I like the ones that, you know, show that they have a great management team. They have a great track record. They, they know what they're doing. They've invested in value creating projects. And, you know, despite the environment, they're able to to do well. I think those are the companies that it pays to, to have a positive bi- mindset on. And, you know, just trust in the management team and, and let them do their thing, see what they can do. I think that leads really nicely, actually, into the next question, which is, you know, you're just, you're monitoring and and watching the thesis play out. But how are you tracking that thesis? What is your process to stay on top of the story? I think one of the huge value propositions of our platform at Stratosphere is that for each of the companies we cover, we're picking just sometimes three, four, even sometimes just one or two metrics that are really important. You're able to kind of keep tracking like, okay, yes, it's working. It's working. What do you, what are the other things you're also doing? And, and maybe that's a big part of it to, to stay on top of this investment thesis over time. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back for this one. I, I think for everybody in terms of tracking the investment thesis, it looks different for everybody. And you kind of just got to do what you're comfortable with. And for me, for me, that's really just kind of taking a step back um, from the day-to-day noise and information that that we're bombarded with. And just thinking about the main drivers, what are the value drivers? Like, for example, you said the the users at Spotify, or for example, for looking at Costco, the number of stores, the square footage, how efficient are they with that space? Are they generating mo- more sales per square foot or are they generating less sales per square foot? I think end of the day, you know, if you get a news story that pops up here and there, most of the time it seems to be noise. Um, so what I like to do is just take a step back and I want to see these things come through in the numbers. So if there's a positive story, I want to see it come through in the numbers. If there's a negative story, same thing. I want to see it come through in the numbers. So for me, most of my process is really around the, the quarterly reports. Um, and, and even then, I think quarterly reports are, are quite noisy, to, to be quite honest. So um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of potentially looking at things semi-annually or even annually. But yeah, it's just difficult to, to measure business performance in such a short period of time. Like things, things move around, things ebb and flow. So it's, it's tough to, to look at, you know, one quarter of data and make a, make a call on a great business. Like, end of the day, a great business is a great business. The reality of life is that things go up and down. So I, I don't want to put too much weight on on things that are happening over the short run. I, I want to see things more over a longer period of time. So for me, that process is really just kind of, I, I keep in touch with, with the news, but I try not to put too much weight on it. Again, I want to see those things come through in the numbers. When, when these news stories come out, I'll try to think about whether that'll be a permanent impairment to the business if, it, if it's a bad news story or if that's something that'll be a temporary headwind. So there's a couple things there, right? Which is you mentioned you're looking at the quarterly reports, you're looking at you know the actual fundamentals and performance of the business coming out in the numbers and in the things that you're tracking and care about. And you say maybe even quarterly is overkill. And I tend to agree. But if we look especially new investors, retail investors, a couple quarters can feel like a lifetime if they haven't had like a whole lot of context on, you know, investing in a business, having a business you've owned for 5, 10, 15, and longer years. It can seem like a really long time when businesses in the stock market are valued on a daily basis. It feels like there's something you should know. It feels like there's a story being built, a new narrative being built that just may not exist because assets are priced every business day. Businesses are getting re-rated. And, and the real fact is that business fundamentals just don't change that often. And when they do, it takes 
quarters, years, decades, not, you know, a few, a few days. So I think that that's important to kind of double click on. Yeah, I think, I think you got it. Um, over the short term, the, you know, a stock will move up and down in, in very random sort of ways, right? But over the long term, it comes down to the business fundamentals. So I think it really pays. You, you really owe it to yourself to not stress too much about those kind of things. And that's what I try to do. I try to just keep things simple. You know, if, if it's not that big of a deal, 5, 10, 15 years from now, I don't think there's really a point in stressing about it right now. And what is hot and what people like and what is favored in the stock market has such a short view. It has so much recency bias. Let me give you an example. So what's hot these days? It's commodities, it's oil, okay? Let's look at a very well-run company, a wonderfully well-run company, something that we would never put our own capital into because it's commoditized, but a very well-run Canadian company, Suncor. Suncor is up 173% since November of 2020. That is incredible, okay? Today's price is the same as October of 2008. That is more than a lost decade. We're talking about almost 15 years of no returns, okay? If you bought it in 2007, you're down on your investment and you've held it for all this time. Sure, you've collected a dividend, you've collected a yield. But the, you know, the S&P paid a 2% yield that whole time too, right? Like it's not like you weren't getting paid somewhere else in terms of cash back to shareholders. And so these are the kinds of things that where I go, okay, that's worked. That's worked what for a year? It's worked for a quarter. Zoom out what's been working and what's been working is good businesses. Yeah, and I, I kind of understand these retail investors. Uh, when I started investing, I, I was investing a lot into into things like like cannabis, and you know that was total destruction. I should have never done that, but you know you learn a lot of lessons coming out of that. But a lot of it was also oil, um, and and things like trading for the short term. Right in the end, I'm grateful for for trying all those things out because I think it showed me a lot. Right, but what it really led me to is the realization that quality businesses are the ones that will never go out of favor. So while I was investing in things like oil and cannabis and getting absolutely destroyed by the market <laughs> and realizing, you, you know, thinking what's going on, um, Apple, Amazon, and even like Canadian banks, for example, which I would consider quality too, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, are more commoditized in some of these tech businesses, they would just continue to rip, right? So I'm, I'm looking at my portfolio thinking, what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? I thought that, you know, the free cash flow yield on these oil stocks is like 13%. How right, come I'm yeah. not making any money? Yeah. Um, and, and that's really what it comes down to. You're investing in a commodity business. Oil prices go down. That's it. Every single project, the returns are, are hit. So there's not much you can do. There's a lot of things that are out of your control. Um, macro is, is the one thing that you absolutely cannot predict reliably well, and you can't control it at all. So I would prefer to keep that out of my portfolio as much as possible and just stick to the quality businesses. Yeah, that's really well said. If I make one macro call that's right on this podcast, just know it was complete luck. That's all you need to know. All right. Um, so you're a young guy. And we should talk about, we haven't even really backtracked how we, we met. You were writing some really thoughtful pieces. I think the one I read from you, what was it? The Lululemon report you wrote? I thought it was quite thoughtful. You had another report on Unity, the, the gaming engine we talked about. I was like, well, this kid's good. And you're, you're, a, you're a CPA, so you are a, an accountant by trade. Um, and so even though, you know, we're young guys, you... You are a way better analyst than me in terms of reading statements. You have that actual accounting background. And so I'm always bouncing ideas off you. I'm like, how does this make sense? And, and you always know the answers. When, we, when I first reached out to you, I was like, this guy could be anywhere in the world when I hit you up because you were writing these pieces anonymously. You could have been literally anywhere in the world 
And it turns out you were in Mississauga, Ontario, like 10 minutes away. And we went, we went and chatted and went for a beer or something like that. I just, I just find that coincidence hilarious, but your skills as a accountant has been helpful for me as well. And how do you think about your knowledge in accounting and for people who may have no background in accounting, how do you think it helps you as an analyst and as someone assessing businesses to invest in? The, the CPA in Canada has actually changed a lot um, over the last 10 years or so. Prior to 2014, there were three different bodies, but today there's one unified body. And with that restructuring, there were a lot of changes to the, the material that's to be studied for, for tests and, and, you know, while going through school. So the CPA today is a lot more than just your typical accounting things like tax and audit and financial reporting or, or financial standards. Um, you know, when people think of accountants, they think of those three, those three areas, but there's a lot more to it than just that. And what, what the Institute really, uh, tests you on today are those three things as well as strategy, uh, finance and cost accounting and cost accounting is, it's really those drivers that I'm talking about. So like, how, how does the company make profit? What are the value drivers of that? And, and you, you evaluate those kind of things to, to make decisions. So I think those, those latter three pillars um, of the CPA today in Canada, I don't know about the US, but that's how it looks like in Canada. Um, I think it really makes you have to consider everything um, about a case or a business when making a call of any sort. You can't really rate a business based on just one of those pillars. It's not just the strategy. It's not just the financials. It's not just, you know, governance. You got to look at everything and considering a lot of information within a couple of hours and, and making an informed decision on a couple of things. I think that's what really helped me uh, become an analyst. And that's what really, I think, got me to exploring the investing world in the first place, because there's so much information that fascinating to, to, to read about and, and to understand. What are some of the ways that we see today get really convoluted with accounting. Um, one of the things that I think of right away is I get so many emails, I get Twitter DMs. This is just an example. They'll be like, look at this real estate investment trust. It trades at six times earnings. And I respond with, do not use that metric. A, a real estate investment trust needs to look at funds from operation or adjusted funds from operation. That is the actual cash flow from the business. Like you, you can't use net income to value a real estate business. It just doesn't make sense from an accounting perspective. Um, I, I, I think... You know, first and foremost, I, I think that shows a lack of understanding of the industry. Um, so, you know, again, I, I was there before. I also looked at REITs back in the day um, on an earnings multiple. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago looking at, you know, American Tower and it was trading at an earnings multiple of like 100. But American Tower is a REIT. You shouldn't be looking at it on an earnings basis, right? It should be on funds from operations, like you said. So um, I think that really shows that th there's just a general misunderstanding of what the industry looks like, what the accounting looks like. Um, and, and, you know, if markets in general, okay, and, and I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but markets in general know what they're doing, okay? So if you're looking at a business that is very commonly held by people, and, and you see a trading at some weird multiple and you're looking at it and it just doesn't make sense to you, you're probably not looking at the right metric, right? And there's plenty of examples like this. Like one is REITs. Like you, you look at the, the earnings multiples and they're all over the place. Um, Constellation Software trades at a earnings multiple of like 100, but what you should be looking at is the free cash flow and it trades much more reasonably over there. It's like around 30. Um, you know, so I, I think it just shows a general mi misunderstanding of of the industry. Um, and you got to compare to other companies within the industry. So I think that'll show a lot. 
Um, you can't look at any company on a standalone basis and, and determine whether, you, you know, you, you can't say that one company is cheap without considering anything else, right? right? Valuation is an art. It is hardly a science and we try to make it a science and it works to an extent, but it is mostly an art. So you got to consider the growth of the company, the growth of the industry, and also the valuation of other companies within that industry. And how do they look compared to the company that you're looking at? So yeah, th those are those are my thoughts there. I, I like that you're bringing to that point because it, it is an art. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about some ideas we like. You know, we do this now full like for a living. So Let's talk about some ideas. What are you looking at lately? Some businesses. I, I, I'm looking at this list you've prepared here and like you and I both can just talk about how much we like these businesses a lot. So uh, let's just start. Let's just start with the first one. Sure. Yeah. Thermo Fisher would be the first one. Um, they provide laboratory solutions for uh, the science community, essentially. Um, they provide diagnostics tools, analytical tools, um, just everything that the science community needs to, to push forward innovate, innovation in, in that world. Um, Thermo Fisher, it's a fantastic company. I own it indirectly. I own a medical devices ETF. I am considering leaving that ETF just because there are some high quality companies in there that are that used to be in there, but are no longer there. Yeah, so. I saw. I saw you were talking about that. Like Donaher is not in there anymore. What's that about? That's right. I I have no idea. I tried to look for a reason, but I can't find it. I think the only way would be to contact the ETF. Provider, the actual provider. Yeah. 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 So it's it's quite unfortunate. Donaher is a great business, um, and and I think that was the third holding, the thir the the third biggest holding in that ETF. So it's quite unfortunate, but. The biggest holding in that ETF is Thermo Fisher, um, just an absolute massive company. Uh, they have about 400,000 customers. Um, these customers, they're not individuals. These are organizations, governments, um, educational bodies, uh, biotech companies, and, and things of that nature. So 400,000, that's a pretty big number, right? Um, they're just a great company. They're a picks and shovels provider. Um, they provide everything that the science community needs to push forward innovation, like I mentioned before. And they have this massive network of companies that literally just hand hand them like what they need. Um, so that takes out a lot of the work that, you know, they, they would have to come up with on their own, like test and trial products and then see if it hits the market. Like they're literally spoon fed. Um, I think of them of like an API provider type infrastructure business but for biotech it's like it's it's where i want to be in that industry and this is like a 230 billion in market cap company so i was just down in, in florida and i played golf with some couple from minnesota and the woman this is anecdotal i know but the woman she's a hell of a golfer by the way wow she was really good um and she was like, oh, what do you do? And we're talking. And then I was like, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I work at a biotech company. I work in a lab. And I was like, oh, like uh, you work at like Thermo, like me just trying to like sound smart. Like I don't know biotech companies. And she's like, no, no, but we give quote unquote a shit ton of money to Thermo. And I, I slacked you that immediately. And I was just like, see, this is the... This is the business. This is the bottleneck business. This is one of the best bottleneck businesses in the world, which is like a toll road on science. And uh, it's one that you and I like very much so. Yeah, just a great company all around. And I think, um, you know, your anecdotal statement, I think that's what I saw on Twitter from a couple of doctors as well. So, you know, these companies, they just can't get around Timo. You got to use Timo if you want to get stuff done in, in the science community. So, uh, just a great company all around. Yeah, no, absolutely. How about uh, let's let's just go through this list. Um, what's next up on here? Actually, this next one here on the list, I've been talking a bit about a bit on this podcast, so people listening may have a primer on it. But uh, another one that we like quite a lot. Yep, Accenture. They do consulting projects for businesses all around the world. 
Um, again, another one of those durable companies that just seem to grow no matter what. And because companies are always looking to innovate in some sort of way, there's that optionality within them that, you know, no matter what's happening, there's always something new that they should be learning about and incorporating into their consulting projects. Um, you know, and there's, there's really big trends today, like digitalization, um, you know, companies moving to the cloud and the company that has the most knowledge in this world is Accenture. So I think it's a really good company just because I, I worked in the corporate world and or I still do today, actually. Um, but what I feel like a lot of companies can't really get these projects done on their own. There's always some sort of consulting piece that's required just because you don't have a dedicated team that'll just, you know, redo your entire cloud or, you know, come up with some, some sort of project and, you know, push their day stuff to the side and, and, and they just work on these projects. They usually need a consultant to, to even come in and, and approve these sort of things, make sure these are the best practices and ACN has all that knowledge. Um, they have the knowledge before any company even starts kind of overhauling their, their operations or their processes. So I think it's a great company. I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, revenues are, are up like 20% on a year over year basis this year. Um, I think it's going to continue to grow double digits. It might come down a little bit just because of that pull forward in COVID. A lot of digitalization projects that, uh, were kind of pushed to the side during COVID, but it's just a big winner. We like consulting. I like consulting quite a bit as a business model. It's just like so profitable. This company just prints cash. If we look at the first two names there, I think the competitive advantages come out to human resources. Like the the talent pool that Thermo and Accenture have, have given them extreme competitive advantages and huge head start in their uh, in their respective industries and you know they're both 200 plus billion in market cap businesses uh very profitable you know they're not cheap stocks they're not really you know they're not value stocks because they shouldn't be businesses that are this good just don't trade at 11 times earnings it's just not how it works and so and if and if they do, <laughs> either something is super wrong with the business, or uh, we are in Great Depression type multiple compression. Um, let's rifle through some Canadian co's. Uh, I think the the one first out of the gate here. I, I bang the drum on all day long on this podcast, and uh, I could probably talk about it for four hours. But um, what are you thinking about? It? So spoiler alert: it's Constellation Software. What are you thinking about lately with this business? I mean, everything they say they're going to do in those president's letters comes out like within a few quarters. And I mean, what what an incredible management team, incredible business. I mean, 100 bagger type business. What are you liking about Constellation these days? Yeah, um, you know, if we backtrack to some of the things that we said earlier in this in, in this show, um, just a great management team. Uh, very durable business and a long runway and they just execute on on everything like, like you said right um, there were concerns about CSU not being able to purchase bigger companies where are they going to find these larger businesses that private equity is not um, you know salivating over and they just pulled off an acquisition of all scripts uh, hospitals and large yeah. physician practices right for between six, I think six seventy to seven hundred. There's a bit of a cash a position. Yeah, there's a variable component to that. So it's about seven hundred million. Let's just go with that. But yeah, so that concern, it, it kind of seems, you know, it's it's still very early in in the process. That was only one acquisition, but the fact that they were able to pull that off um, and, and get that kind of acquisition, it, it seems like it seems like they might be pivoting um into a whole new world and and i think that's what happens with with companies like csu it has a long runway um it's a serial acquirer so what needs to happen there has to be some sort of a fragmented industry and and that's exactly what uh the vertical vertical market software 
industry is. There's like 40,000, 30 to 40,000 potential targets that CSU can go after. And they have this incredible management team that is very, very disciplined on their entry multiple. Uh, Mark still doesn't take a salary, eh? His total compensation is zero. Can you believe that? It's all skin in the game. Yeah, right? well, that's, obviously, that's I mean, he's been making, yeah. he's a, a billionaire multiple times over um, with his equity in the business. But, you know, they publish the executive comp and the operating group guys make a million bucks a year. It's been going up. I think they track it like every report, it goes like back four years so or five years. So it's like 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. Mark Leonard. Total compensation, zeros across the board. <laughs> Salary, bonus, nothing. This he, he literally writes in the presence letters. He's like, I want to be your partner as, as if you invest in this company. He now pays for all of his travel, all business expenses he pays for on, on his own dime. He, he, and he used to fly at the back of the plane. And, and and do because you know he had his incentives aligned correctly with shareholders. I think in the re- recent presence letter, he's like, "Okay, I'm done flying at the back of the plane, but don't worry, I'm paying for it." And it's just like this guy's just different, man. Like he's just caught from a different cloth. I mean, I just have so many good things to say about this company. Uh, let's move on to another ridiculously good Canadian capital allocator. You know. Maybe Bruce Flatt and Mark Leonard can go on the uh, the Hall of Fame in Canada for capital allocators. Um, and Bruce Flatt is at, at Brookfield. You and I like this name a lot. Um, and can we just well, let's talk about two things with with uh, with Brookfield: the potential spinoff and the fact that they stole the property business off the public market for a bag of pucks and maybe a couple signed baseballs. Like it is ridiculous that they pulled this off. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, on, on the asset manager uh, side, in, in terms of the, the spinoff that they might be doing of the asset manager business, um, I think this might be able to unlock a ton of value. Um, one of the, one of the problems with Brookfield or the, one of the problems that investors have with Brookfield is it's difficult to value. You've got, you've got all this, all these like financial um, obscurities in, in the financial statements. And it's just tough to kind of pick these things apart and, and truly value the business. Um, so this asset management, asset manager spinoff might, might unlock a ton of value. And uh, you know, the, the investors that want to invest only in the asset manager will have that opportunity. Um, and those that want to hold the holding company like myself, I'm going to, I, I would prefer to continue uh, holding the yeah, consolidated same. company. Um, but we'll, we'll benefit from that spinoff that. regardless, right? Yeah, that's right. There's going to be a stake in that asset manager. So, you know, if that if the asset manager does well, uh, the entire holding company will as well. Yep. And it'll help those shareholders as well because of, uh, you know, you, you kind of remove a lot of those obscurities. They are willing to go against the grain. And act very rational as value investors of real assets. And time and time again, they don't get married to assets. And they think about things very logically. If they think it's a good time to sell something, they will. If they think it's a good time to buy aggressively and unloved core infrastructure assets that humans absolutely need, then they will go aggressively into it. And they, you know, brought BPY private when the market thought no one was going back to the office. No one's going to step foot in a shopping mall ever again. They go, okay, no problem. We'll take the whole thing. Uh, we'll buy the whole thing off the public markets. Adrian, this has been this has been awesome. Uh, let's wrap this up for Stratosphere. I mean, we just rifled off just a few ideas. I know you have more on here. Maybe we'll have to do a two part. We'll get you back. I know the people are going to love this. Where can they find more of what you're writing on our site and this like really high quality and always updated investment thesis, always updated metrics, 
always on top of of these really really great high quality businesses where can we find more about them yeah it's it's all on stratospereinvesting.com um if you go into uh the stock ideas you know the the section over there and then there's a bunch of listings both uh on the u.s side and canadian companies and you click on any one of those uh you'll see in the research tab um that's where we put our our thoughts and that's where we put the kpis that we're looking at um and you know what Braden and i are really trying to do is to equip investors with the information that we think is extremely valuable that you might not get elsewhere um kpis and and <clears throat> you know the value drivers they're difficult to find without sifting through you know hundreds of pages of of annual reports and you know, you got to pull like 10 of them to, to get some of this information. But we put it all up there on stratosphereinvesting.com for, for our users to enjoy. Yeah, check it out. It's, uh, it's free to join and then you'll get a, you'll get a trial on all the, the, pr- the premium research. All the analytics are free. Um, and if you do want to be investing long term and look at these high quality businesses, you can get a membership. And I rarely throw out discounts on the show, but this is the first time since we're doing you know, an episode about Stratosphere and, and what we're building. So do that and take 25% off a membership with TCI 25. I do not have that coupon. I'm going to have to make it after this show. TCI 25, go on there. You're not going to find it in the email drips. You're not going to find it on the site. Uh, you're going to find it from listening to this podcast. That is code TCI25. And get 25% off. And the nice thing is, too, uh, we charge in U.S. and Canadian dollars, but we actually charge the same dollar amount in can- for Canadian dollars as well. Just because, you know, I, I want to... There's, there's a, lot, a lot of people who, who listen to this podcast have really given us our start. So we want to give back to that. So it's the same dollar amount. Go ahead and check that out. Thank you so much for listening, Adrian. This has been awesome. Maybe we'll have to do this again at some point. Uh, I am so glad I found you on the interwebs and we've become, we've become friends and uh, it's, been, it's been really great. Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's been an honor really to, to be here. You know, I started off as an anonymous account and uh, <laughs> got the chance to be on a, on a pretty big podcast. So it's, oh, it's the been biggest, biggest pleasure. in the world, I, I, I hear. Biggest in the world, yeah. Biggest in the world uh, across all categories. Someone told me that the other day. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.